Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today's episode of Truth and Justice is sponsored in part by Sean T. Fitness. Sean T. wants to first thank everyone who purchased T25 and other programs from SeanTFitness.com. But listen, Sean has a special offer for Truth and Justice listeners at SeanTApparel.com. Sean T. wants you to wear your motivation. He is offering Truth and Justice listeners 10% off any purchase. That's right. Sean T. Apparel is offering 10% off your entire purchase. Just enter coupon code TRUTHPOD at checkout. Once again, that's shantiapparel.com and enter coupon code TRUTHPOD to get your 10% discount. And as always, dig deeper. Today's episode is also sponsored in part by 23andMe. Your DNA is made up of 23 pairs of chromosomes. That's why the name of the product is 23andMe. 23andMe is a personalized genetic service that helps you understand what your DNA says about you. 23andMe is the first and only genetic service available directly to you that includes reports that meet FDA standards. With 23andMe, you get more than 60 personalized, detailed reports on your health, traits, and ancestry, plus tools that allow you to share and compare your genetic reports with family and friends. Here's how it works. Order your DNA kit from 23andMe.com, provide your saliva sample from home, and mail it back to the CLIA certified lab. You'll be notified when your reports are ready online. More than 1 million people around the world have experienced their genetics through 23andMe. Order your kit today from 23andMe.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I want to thank you all for tuning in today. And I also wanted to let you all know that it's starting to get pretty chilly here in Michigan, and I'm all bundled up out in the old studio shed recording this week's episode. By the time you hear this, I will have posted the pictures on Twitter, but this morning, the shell for the new studio was delivered. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do all the work inside, and I'm hoping by mid-November, before it gets really cold here, that's where we'll be recording. Again, I want to thank you all so much, all of you listeners who contributed to the GoFundMe campaign to make the new studio a reality. Now, before we get started with today's content, I want to give you all a little bit of a heads up as to what's to come over the next several weeks. I talked to Jim Clemente this week, and he has a very jam-packed schedule for the next couple of weeks as he's filming new episodes for Criminal Minds and his other projects. Jim told me it would be about two weeks before he would be able to get back with me on the post-crime behavior of Adnan. And then after Adnan, we'll move on to Don and Jay also. So uh, be patient with that. It's going to be some time before we get through all that. I've got a lot of things to cover. The investigation is ongoing, aside from what Jim's doing. But it should be in about two weeks that we should hear back from Jim about his analysis of Adnan's post-crime behavior. Adnan. 
As for this week, I have a little bit more information than I had for last week's show. And that's thanks to listener Tracy, who sent me in an email after the Alibis episode to fill me in on some more information that I've missed in the sea of paperwork here. Tracy emailed and let me know that we actually do know when Adnan picked up the letter in the guidance counselor's office. This document was posted on the Undisclosed website, and I either missed it or forgot about it. But it was in the defense files, and this was a handwritten note of an account of Adnan's day. And what it says in the note is at 12.40 p.m., so right after lunchtime, it says, Went to the guidance office, Miss Stuckey Counselor, to get college recommendation letter. And then in parentheses, it says, Copy with date 113.99 in packet of letters for bail hearing. So in last week's episode, when I was looking to see if Debbie's statement about a seeing Adnan in the guidance counselor's office after school could be corroborated by this letter, uh, I mentioned that we didn't know exactly when he picked up the letter, but we do know that it was in his possession. Well, now we do know, according to this note, that Adnan actually picked up that letter at 1240. So what does that mean? It means that the letter doesn't do anything for or against Debbie's statement. So we're back to the fact that witness statements can be unreliable, especially for high school students. So on one hand, we do have the fact that Debbie says that she saw him in school, in the guidance counselor's office after school around 245. But on the other hand, there's a lot of other inconsistencies with Debbie's statement, and we don't have this letter to corroborate it. So it just leaves it up in the air. Debbie could be right or she could be wrong. But it would definitely appear that this letter from the guidance counselor doesn't do anything for or against Debbie's testimony. So where does that leave us with Adon's alibi? Well, it really doesn't leave us any further than we were last week. We have statements from three different witnesses that alibi Adnan on that day. We have Asia saying he was in the library until 2.40. We have Debbie saying that he was in the guidance counselor's office around 2.45. And we have Coach Sai saying that he was at track practice on time. Of the three, I definitely think that Coach Sai's testimony is definitely the strongest. Coach Sai specifically remembers walking the track with Adnan on that warm day during Ramadan, and that only could have been January 13th. So I'm very confident saying that we're quite certain that Adnan was at track practice on time that day. Asia's testimony, I think, is more solid than Debbie's because it's tied in with a fight with her boyfriend and the storm rolling in and getting snowed in at her boyfriend's house. Whereas Debbie's statement isn't really tied to anything now that we know that the guidance counselor's letter isn't a corroborating factor in her statement. So at the end of the day, we're still left with a non-statement of alibi that he never left the campus. We have three witness statements that would corroborate that. However, they are witness statements, and so at least two of them could still be up for debate. But we're still in the place where we only have one person, one statement, that conflicts with Adnan's alibi statement, and that's Jay. I know it may be beating a dead horse, but I just want to reiterate again, and it's not so much to convince you, but for just for you to understand where my position comes from, is the fact that no one, there's not one single witness other than Jay, that puts Adnan anywhere near Hay after school that day. And it's not like no one saw Hay. Lots of people saw Hay, but no one saw Adnan anywhere near her. And since he says he would have been checking his email and Asia puts him in the library, it would make absolute sense to me that that's why no one saw him with Hay as she was leaving school because Adnan was over in the library. But it's also why it is critically important to try to get a better understanding of what was going on with Jay that day. He is the anomaly. 
His statements don't make sense, and they don't fit with anything that anyone else is saying about that day. But we'll get to that soon enough. But next up for tonight, I want to talk about undisclosed last addendum. There were a couple of very interesting points that were addressed in that addendum. The first of which was the deal with Bilal. So just to break it down for everyone, Bilal was planning on testifying for Adnan as an alibi witness. Bilal remembered seeing Adnan at the mosque that night. He remembered discussing with him the prayers that he was preparing to lead, and that's what he had intended to testify about. Bilal did testify at the grand jury, and therefore the prosecution was aware of what he was going to say at the trial. After the grand jury, Bilal was arrested. And he was arrested because he was found in an awkward position with a minor, a 14-year-old boy. And that's where things started to get really odd. The same day that Bilal was arrested, Kevin Urich disclosed that information to the defense, which means he was made aware of it immediately. And the odd thing about that is that Kevin Urich had no reason to be made aware of that. And I can't tell you exactly what that means. All I can tell you is that it's not normal that Urich was made aware of it so quickly. And I can speculate and theorize about what was going on there, but it would be nothing more than that. Speculation and theory. But what we do know is shortly after that, the charges were dropped against Bilal and he fled the country. Bilal's wife was told by the police that the charges were dropped because they had made a mistake and the child was not a minor. So on the surface, that part seems to make some sense, that if the child was indeed not a minor, but Bilal was still caught in this awkward position with a young boy and he was married, that he might flee the area, or I guess flee the country even, to get away from the stigma that might come along with that. But what makes it very, very strange is the fact that all evidence seems to indicate that the young boy was indeed a minor, and he was 14 years old. Rabia had a few members of the mosque interview in that episode who both confirmed that the individual was indeed around 14 years old at the time, and he was most certainly a minor, and yet the charges were dropped. That part does not make any sense, and it is certainly not justice for that young boy. And the result of the entire episode was that Bilal, one of the few alibi witnesses that Christina Gutierrez actually contacted, that was willing to testify, did so at the grand jury, and was prepared to do so at trial, fled the country. This was a pretty big hit to Adnan's case. So, with the evidence that we have on this, what this looks like to me, in my opinion, is that when Kevin Urich heard about the arrest, it seems to me like it's very possible that Bilal was offered a deal. We will drop these charges in exchange for you not testifying at Adnan's trial. We'll drop them, you stay out of prison, and you get out of here. And he did just that. I don't know that to be true, but I can't think of any other reason why charges would be dropped on the basis of the child being over 18 when not only was it well known that he was well under 18, but those facts were easily verifiable. Much like Jay, Bilal got a hell of a deal. And on top of that, I still find it extremely suspicious that Kevin Urich was notified about that arrest within hours of it happening. And the next very important element of the Undisclosed episode was the discovery of a supplemental police report that was included in Susan Simpson's MPIA request. The report reads, The undersigned assisted with the homicide team was searching for the computer of a missing person. 
It is believed that the computer may contain information that will help locate the missing person. The missing person used America Online to communicate on the Internet. Therefore, the computer may contain email or other type of file that may lead to further information. The computer was tagged and brought back to the Computer Crimes Unit for forensics. Investigation to continue. So this appears to be the report from the Computer Crimes Unit stating that they've received the computer and they're going to investigate it for this forensic evidence. All of this makes sense. But the major reveal here was at the bottom, there's a section called screening factors. And what these are, are solvability factors. There's a section for the person, for the vehicle, so on and so forth. And what's really interesting here is that the report was received in Central Records on February 24th, before Jay Wilds is brought in for questioning. In the solvability factor, or screening factor, for the location of the car is marked 12. And these factors go from 0 to 12. All the other reports that we have list the car as 0, meaning, basically, they have no idea where the car is. A mark of 12 indicates that that particular part of the case has been solved. That's the highest mark. So what this report is indicating is that they know where Hayes' car is which is absolutely huge because the biggest hang-up for most people who don't believe that Jay was coerced because he knew where Hayes' car was, this report would certainly seem to indicate that they did actually already know where the car was before they talked to him. The problem is, as was mentioned by Susan on Undisclosed, that this report is an absolute mess. So for starters, the case number listed on the report is absolutely Hayes' case number. Checked it with all the other files. It is definitely Hayes' case number. However, in one section, it says date of original report. And the date of the original report is 12-29-98, 15 days before Hay went missing. So when I saw that, that would lead me to believe that this isn't about Hay. But then why would it have Hay's case number on it? And why would it talk about a computer with America Online, which we know is one of the things they were looking into in Hay's case? But then I went back to the case number, and the case number is 99-013-1074. The first two numbers of those case numbers are the year. So this says date of the original report, which would be the date that the case number was generated, is December 29, 1998. Yet the case number says that this case began in 1999. So it's really confusing, and I thought maybe the December 29th date was the date of a post that they found on the computer. But then I reread the narrative, and this report is just saying that they received the computer and they're going to be sending it for analysis. So they haven't actually looked at anything on the computer yet. So with that said, that would assume that the date of the original report is a typo. Now, it's also important to point out that this is a Baltimore County police report, and Baltimore County only had this case until February 9th when Hayes' body was found in Baltimore City, and then it was passed off to them. And at the bottom of the report, the date listed is February 8th, meaning that's the day that the report was generated and or signed off by the supervisor, which would make sense because on February 8th, Hayes' body had not been found yet, and this was still a Baltimore County case. However, on the top of the report, where it lists the type of offense or incident, it lists it as homicide. And on February 8th, it was not known that this was a homicide. At that point, it was just a missing persons report. But then if we go back to the narrative in the first line, 
It says the undersigned is assisted the homicide team with searching the computer of a missing person. So based on the narrative, this is indeed still a missing persons investigation, and it's just the homicide team. So again, that would lead me to believe that the section marked homicide is a typo because the narrative clearly states that it is the homicide team and it is still a missing person. And another thing on this report that kind of has me baffled is in the section with the solvability factors, there's two lines. There's initial and then revised. And I read that to mean that the initial line was what the previous report stated, whatever report was written before this one, or at least what that solvability factor was prior to this report. And then the revised would be what the solvability factor is after this report. And in this case, both are marked 12, which would indicate that the car had already been located before this report was written. But again, this report was written on February 8th. So that would mean that Baltimore County already knew where Hayes' car was before they found their body, which doesn't make much sense. But then at the same time, we also know that Baltimore County was classic for writing reports long after the fact. And we've seen this in many of the other police files. So I don't know, did they write this report in hindsight later on? And we have that February 24th date, that's when it was turned over to records. So was it written on the 24th? I don't have the answers. On one hand, this report tells us a lot about the car, but at the same time, there are so many inconsistencies with it. Unfortunately, I don't think that it's anything that we're going to be able to use as a solid piece of evidence. And I have to just say that I'm not surprised that something would be this screwed up in this case. It seems like everything is a thousand times more complicated than it should be. And this is a perfect example of that. More sloppy work done by these detectives that just leaves us guessing. Next up, I want to take a little closer look at the victimology of Hay. Over the last week or so, I've been carefully studying Hay's diary, trying to get a good picture in my mind of what was going on in her life. And what I found was that the last five weeks of her life, in reality, were quite a bit different than Sarah Koenig presented them on Serial. And after a short break to hear about our sponsor, I'll explain why. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
One of the big questions that's come up since we've started looking a little closer at Don is if Don did it, what was his motive? He doesn't appear to have any motive. Well, first of all, motive isn't all that important to an investigation like this. Because if we're talking about something that was a crime of passion or rage, motive can be generated in an instant. Someone could say something, do something, anything can set someone off and create that instant motive. But when I was reading through the diary and studying it, it occurred to me that if we considered the jilted lover to be an acceptable motive for Adnan, then it's important to note that Don was not in all that dissimilar of a situation. Now, before I go on to explain this, I want to make something crystal clear because I haven't said it on the podcast. I'm not accusing Don of this crime. I'm not even suggesting that Don committed this crime. I'm merely investigating him. And I believe that this investigation is warranted primarily because of the fact that we have a falsified alibi, along with the fact that I do believe that the most likely perpetrator would have been someone with a known relationship to Hay. And the purpose of the investigation is just to do one of two things. Dig deep enough to figure out if we can rule Don out as a suspect or figure out if he's the one that actually committed this crime. So as of right now, Don is still presumed innocent. We're just gathering evidence and continuing to investigate. And I have a lot of people that are emailing me on a daily basis asking me why I'm not investigating other angles right now. That why am I not looking into Jay? Jay looks guilty or looking into Jen or Stephanie or Hayes family and all those things or a random person we don't know about or Ronald Lee Moore, the serial killer or Roy Davis. And I want to make perfectly clear that it's not that I don't think any of those are a possibility. Anyone is a possibility at this point. We don't know who killed Hay Lee. And the reason that I'm taking the course that I'm taking right now and bringing you all along with me is a simple, basic investigative method. We've spent several months working on an evidence-based investigation, gathering every single possible bit of information that we could gather. Everything from police reports to PI reports, witness statements, trial testimony. We've looked at it all. We've even had experts analyze the interrogation techniques, Baltimore City's investigative methods. We've had an FBI profiler on the show. All of that is just information gathering, evidence gathering. Once we have that much evidence and we start moving on to suspects, the first step, like it or not, is always to look at the alibis first. And the reason for that is simple. If someone has a rock-solid, airtight alibi, you can cross them off. You can narrow your suspect pool. Anyone who doesn't have an alibi, you leave them in the pool. Adnan is still in this group of suspects because his alibi is not rock-solid. I think it's it's pretty good. I believe it's true, but that's my opinion. But I, I don't have solid evidence that I can prove that Adnan never left that campus that day. But then when we look at Don and we find out that not only does he not have an alibi, but that took steps to create a false alibi and did so before anyone knew that anything had happened to Hay, that's a red flag. And so at that point, we start applying the evidence that we have to the suspects to see if we can rule them out. And so far, we have nothing to rule Don out with. The only thing that ruled him out in 99 was this alibi. We do have a lot of circumstantial evidence that looks not so good for Don, 
but right now that's just circumstantial evidence. Jim Clemente's profile is just peripheral information. No one gets convicted based on a profile. A profile is just a guide at best. But for all of these reasons, right now, currently in this investigation, Don is my primary suspect. And with that being the case, that's who I'm investigating. And the reason that I'm not looking into all these other options at this moment is because I haven't found a reason to stop investigating Don yet. I haven't found anything to rule him out. And that's how these investigations work. Now, you all know that I'm not a homicide detective. I investigate fires, but the investigative method is the same. Once you've gotten this far in and you have all of this information and all of this evidence and you have a suspect that stands out from all the other suspects, you can't keep investigating 15 suspects at once or you'll never get anything done. You focus in on that one, not with blinders on. And that's where the Baltimore Police Department fell apart. They had this profile or racism or whatever their reason was. Or even if you want to say they had Jay's statement and say they believed Jay, they decided it was a non and they never looked back. We follow that line of the investigation, but not with blinders on. Meaning, if new evidence comes in and says, oh, look, it looks like he didn't do it, or this conflicts with my theory on the case, you take in that evidence and you consider it. And if you determine that you're on the wrong path, then you back up and you move on to one of the other suspects. You find out who else fits the evidence and you start going that direction. So sorry for the long explanation, but I've gotten a lot of emails asking those questions, and that's why. If we find evidence to show that Don is certainly innocent, then we would go back to square one and consider all the suspects again and try to find the best course of action. So after that too long explanation, let's move on to the last five weeks of Hay's life. Back a little bit further than that, in October of 98, Hay started working at Lens Crafters, and we all know that one of her co-workers was Don. Now, up to this point, Hay and Adnan are still hot and heavy in love with each other. According to her diary, they've had a couple of breakups or timeouts along the way, but at this point, they had patched things back up, and according to her diary, they were desperately in love again. As a matter of fact, from the beginning of the diary, which started in May, all the way up until this point, nearly every single page of the diary talks about her baby. Adnan is always referred to as her baby. She loves her baby. These are the reasons she loves her baby. It's very clear that Hay was head over heels for Adnan. And it looks like the few times that they took a break or broke up, it was Hay's idea. In the spring, there was a time where she said she wanted a timeout, but then she said she loved him so much that she wanted him back. She asked for him back, and it says that Adnan never wanted the timeout anyway, so he was happy to take her back. They broke up again in August, and Hay talked a lot in her diary about that breakup. It was after she had spoken with her brother, and her brother seems to have called her out for lying to her parents. Her parents did not approve of her dating. I don't know if it was dating in general or dating a non, but because of the relationship, she was having to lie to her family about the things she was doing with a non. She was feeling very guilty about it, and so she broke up with a non. But then a day or two later, she says she loves him, she misses him, She's going to ask for his forgiveness, and he takes her back, and they're back together again. Again, in November, there's another breakup, and again, she writes about how she hopes that he'll forgive her and hopes he'll take her back, and he does indeed take her back again in November. One thing that I want to point out after reading the diary is that some people have tried to describe Adnan, the prosecution certainly did, as being obsessive and not being able to handle the breakups. 
But when you read her diary, all of the breakups or the timeout, she talks about wanting to ask for his forgiveness and hoping that he'll take her back. So to me, when I read that, it doesn't sound to me like Adnan was hounding her to take her back. If he was begging for her to come back to him, why would she be writing in her diary that she hopes that he'll take her back? That would indicate to me that she didn't know if he would or not. There's nothing in the diary that describes Anon as being obsessive or controlling, at least not the way Hay sees it, and not the way I see it either, because I see a lot of myself in Anon. She talks about him coming to class with a single red rose for her, always doing sweet things, and some people might consider that possessive, but if you were to ask my wife about our relationship, she would tell you that I do the exact same things with her. And I definitely don't think that she would describe me as obsessive or possessive. There are a few instances in the diary where Hay talks about Anon being upset when she's hanging out with her friends instead of him. And people have spun that into the whole possessive argument. And maybe I'm naive, but that just sounds like every high school relationship just about everyone that I know has ever been in. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So in any case, by the beginning of December, Adnan and Hay are back together. And Hay makes a journal entry where she writes down the top eight reasons, the ways I love you from the bottom of my heart, where all my words are true. And I'm not going to go into all the details there, but she lists eight reasons as to why she's so in love with Adnan. But then, three days later, on December 6th, enter Don into the diary. On this day, Hay writes, What's the matter with me? Every time I close my eyes, I see my baby, but I keep on thinking about someone else. Don. You can tell she's very torn. She talks about wanting to get closer to him. She says a part of me keeps me from Don because of Adnan. And she says that Don is what I would go for in my past. Blonde, blue eyes, white, built, sexy, and nice Camaro. And then she ends with, but me, I'm taking. I love Adnan. Oh, dear. Now, you all have heard some of that before on Serial, and it was suggested that she was just starting to think about Don. And she was conflicted about it, and she certainly was. But what you didn't hear on Serial was that on that page of her diary, on December 6th, Hay writes Don's name a couple times, and then she writes down his phone number. It says Don's number, the phone number, then underneath it says dial 1 first because he lives in Bel Air. So as we're studying Hay's victimology and trying to figure out what was going on in her life, Hay wasn't just thinking about Don at this time. She had had enough contact with him for him to give her his phone number five weeks before she went missing, not just the 12 days that we've all been thinking. So as I continue through the rest of these five weeks, I want you to not be thinking about Hay, but try to put yourself in Don's situation so we can try to figure out what Don's thinking. On the next page, Hay's still talking about her conflict between Adnan and Don. She says, I love Adnan. I love him. He is everything I could want in a realistic way. Tall, dark, and handsome, but not mature, though. Don is mature. Old enough. Adnan wants someone older like me. I want someone older like Don. 
What in the hell am I saying? I love Adnan. I found myself in happiness with him. I can't do this. So as I'm reading this, it reads to me like Hay and Don are starting to connect in a real way. They're obviously talking on the phone, and she's having all these mixed emotions. The next day, on the 7th of December, Hay writes, Don, why are you on my mind? I love Adnan. But Don, he and Adnan are completely different people, and I can't compare them. I love Adnan. But all I could think of when Adnan was kissing me was Don's baby blues, his crooked smile, his blonde brown hair. What the hell am I doing? She writes Don in all caps and says, Oh dear, why me? I love you, Adnan, but I don't know why I'm having these thoughts. She goes on to talk about how much she loves Adnan and says that's why it's so confusing for me to keep on thinking about Don. Me and Don don't have any chance. But I don't know. Well, I know that I love Adnan. But can I be faithful to him? I want to. She continues on to say how much she loves Adnan. She ends that post with, I love you, Adnan, so much. But why Don? The next day, on the 8th, she writes, Today Adnan asked me what it is about him that keeps me loving him. And she goes on to say that at that point, that's when she realizes that there's no one but him for her. And she ends with, I want to tell him about Don, but I can't. So that's on December 8th. 36 days before she went missing, so still over five weeks before. The next day, on December 9th, she writes, I found myself sighing of disappointment when I didn't see Don at LensCrafters. I swear I saw his Camaro was out there. I miss his baby blues. What the hell am I saying? I love you, Adnan. You have me so happy and loved. Nothing and no one would ever replace you. But then why Don? She ends that post with, I'm too tired, I want to go to sleep now, I've been thinking about Don for hours now. It's already 12.35am. The next day, on the 10th, she writes again about how in love she is with Adnan. She says, I went to my baby's track meet. She says she wrote him an email and goes on about how much she loves him. And then she writes, no more Don. I know, as I always have, that Adnan's warm smile is the one I can't live without. Then she writes, I feel so guilty though. About Don. I don't know why the hell I had such thoughts. I really kind of want to tell Adnan about the whole Don thing, but I'm so afraid. What if it pushes him away? Would he forgive me? Would he still love me? She ends with, I'll just keep secret. But what if he finds out and hates me? No, I can't tell him. And that last line got me thinking again about Don's perspective. So she says whatever's going on with Don at that point, she's cutting it off. And for the record, I'm not saying that Hay was cheating on Adnan. As a matter of fact, I know she wasn't, and you'll see that later on in the diary. But it was also obvious that this was more than just thoughts Hay was having. We know that she has Don's phone number. They were obviously talking. And then here she says, but what if he finds out? Well, if it was nothing more than just thoughts, then there's nothing for him to find out. There has to be something for him to find out. So again, I'm assuming that Don and Hay have been building a relationship. They've been talking on the phone, talking at work, maybe flirting, maybe talking about starting a relationship. I don't know, but putting myself in Don's shoes, it would certainly seem like he thinks that this is the beginning of a relationship. And then here on the 10th of December, she says she's cutting that off with him. And Hay goes on to say, Adnan wouldn't forgive me because I can't forgive myself. I can't believe myself at all. Would he forgive me? Or would he build up his walls again? I love you so much, Adnan. What have I done? 
Now, a couple of things with that paragraph. Again, Hay is saying, what have I done? So again, I know she's not cheating on Adnan, but she's done something. She said something. Something has happened that she feels she needs forgiveness for. She's worried about Adnan finding out about all revolving around Don. And the other thing that I gathered from that is that she says, would Adnan forgive me or would he build up his walls again? Which again, going back to what I said before, I have not gotten the idea from anywhere in this diary that Adnan was harassing Hay or anything like that when she had broken up with him. In every case, she's talking about, I hope he forgives me. I hope he'll take me back. In this case, she talks about him building up his walls again which you can infer from that, whatever you want. But for me, it sounds like he withdraws himself and doesn't talk to her when there's an issue. Another thing that I want to point out is that some people might say, well, we don't know that she actually told Don or said anything to Don about them cutting off whatever they had going on at that point. But it's also important to note that we know Hay wrote the breakup letter to Adnan back in November, and yet there's no mention of that in the diary either. There's a big blank space for around a month during that time. So just because Hay didn't write it in her diary doesn't mean that she didn't have a conversation with Don. But she says in this entry that she's going to cut things off with him. Then three days later on the 13th, she writes, I picked up smoking again. Me and Don were talking outside and he offered me a cigarette. I hate the way they taste but I get to stay outside with him. And that's the entire entry for the 13th. So again, we can see from Hay's perspective, she's very torn. She's maintaining lines. She's being faithful, but she's definitely torn between Adnan and Don. And I'm wondering how frustrating all of this is for Don. On the opposite page on that same day is the page you heard Sarah talk about in Serial, where Hay wrote Adnan out of a bunch of tiny little Adnans, and right under that wrote Don out of a bunch of tiny little Dons. And then underneath those, she signs both their names and has them kind of connected together with these swirly lines. On the 15th, she has another entry, but doesn't talk about either one of them. She's working on a paper. She writes that it's 1.30 in the morning. She doesn't write anything in the diary for 10 days. Then on the 23rd, she talks about the accident that she got into. She says it was a minor accident. It had snowed. The roads were slippery. And she got into an accident with her car. The next day, on Christmas Eve, the 24th, she writes that the car is in the parking lot at Owings Mills Mall. Don and Adnan took a look at my car and told me not to drive it, unanimously. Now, at this point, from what I understand, Hay and Adnan had already had their final breakup. So they weren't together anymore. And on the diary, it has a bunch of notes that were written on it that I assume came from Gutierrez's office. But someone reviewing this after the fact wrote notes. So I don't know where this came from, but I'll read it to you for context. I'm assuming the information came from Adnan. And so I'm guessing that this came from Gutierrez's files. It says Hayes' car was parked close to Don's car, and Don was going to his car, and Adnan asked him to come look at it. Both Adnan and Don stood at the car, talked about cars. Hay came out, and Adnan drove her home. Don left. He didn't offer to take her home. Adnan took Hay home. So that's the story that we're all familiar with. And it seems like that's where it came from. That Anon went to go look at Hay's car. Don was out there. Anon asked him to come help look at it. They sat there and chit-chatted for a little bit. They both thought she shouldn't drive it. And Anon took Hay home. Which seems consistent with what all of their friends have said that after they broke up, that they still got along and they were still good friends. The next entry is on the 29th. Hay writes she's tired and sleepy at 2 a.m. And she's just talking about going and having dinner with a co-worker after work that day. Then on January 2nd, Hay writes and she recounts the last couple of days. 
She says, guess who had a date with Don? Me. On Thursday the 31st, I picked up a Don from work and dropped him off at Sears so he could pick up his car. I thought of waiting for him, but for some reason, I had to go to Owings Mills Mall. When I got there, I saw his Camaro, which was surprising since I know he wasn't working that day. Well, when I was going to pull up next to his car, he was walking towards his car. I stopped and talked to him, flirting around with him, as usual, she says. Well, he actually let me drive his car around the parking lot. What a car. Well, we flirted around a little more and finally decided to go for dinner on the 1st. Now, the opposite page on that entry, he's got a bunch of scribbles on there, and she writes out like a signature of his name, just doodles on the other side of the page. Now, I don't know this, but as I'm trying to look at it, it makes me think that she was probably on the phone to him when she was writing it. I mean, when you're writing in your diary, you're done, you close it. For me, anyways, if I'm doodling or anything like this, it's usually if I'm on the phone or something. So she goes on in this post to talk about their first date. It was really good. She loved it. They had fun conversation. Says they were talking about a lot of things from lens crafters to cars to his name. And then she writes out, looks like she was trying to figure out his middle name. And then she ends it with, wow, I don't think I've ever felt this weird before, but I really do think I like him. We came back to the Owings Mills Mall and we just sat and talked. I really wanted him to kiss me, but not. He's too much of a gentleman for that. What a guy. He is so kind, caring, intelligent, incredibly cute, funny, amusing, and very down to earth. So pretty obvious that that first date went really well, and Hayes pretty head over heels for Don at this point. And no mention of a non the diary other than coming out to check her car and her giving him a ride to the shop to pick up his car a couple days later. The next entry is on January 6th, so four days later. It's a short entry that just says, I just got back from the movies with Don. I really do like him so much. So it sounds like Don's been through some ups and downs with Hay, but at this point, he finally got the girl. She seems to really like him. The next entry is Hay's last entry. January 12th, 1999. She writes, I love you, Don. I think I have found my soulmate. I love you so much. I fell in love with you the moment I opened my eyes to see you in the break room for the first time. That was Hayes' last entry in her diary the night before she went missing. On the opposite page, she writes Don 127 times on the page. That's also where she wrote a non-cell phone number. You remember he called her around midnight to give her his new number. Now one other thing that I want to point out about the diary is we've all been told that Don had an ex-girlfriend that broke his heart. And I don't remember if Sarah Koenig said this or it's just the impression that I got when listening to Serial. But I was always under the impression that Don had a girlfriend during the time he was working at LensCrafters. But when I went back looking for information about this ex-girlfriend, what I found is that the only source of information we have about Don having an ex-girlfriend was Don when he called Sarah before episode 12 of Serial. There's no indication whatsoever in Hayes' diary that Don had a girlfriend during the build-up to their relationship. But Don said that he did have an ex-girlfriend and that she cheated on him. So I don't know what that means one way or the other. I just wanted to point out that that information did not come from Hayes' diary. But there is one more thing in Hayes' diary that I had never noticed before literally today. I've looked at the page with the 127 Dons and a Don's phone number on it probably a hundred times. I've seen it as I've looked through this document over and over again. But today I noticed something that I had never realized was there before. At the bottom of that page, the page that was written the night before Hay went missing, it says, I miss you, baby. That could be absolutely nothing. She could be talking about Don. After all, it's written on the page 
with 127 Dons. It also contains Anand's new cell phone number. But the thing that struck me as odd about it is the fact that Baby is what Hay called Adnan. When I look through the diary, on nearly every single page, Hay talks about how much she loves Adnan, and almost every single time she refers to him as Baby or My Baby. And so I started to think, if Baby was her nickname for Adnan, would she refer to Don with the same word? And maybe she would. But for me, that seemed really weird. So like I said, it could be nothing. It could just be a note about Don. But it makes me wonder if Hay hadn't decided that she missed Adnan that night, and if that's why she was quiet during lunch, and if it's possible that she told Don that day that she still loves Adnan. That could be the thing that she had to do after school. We know that Hay was deeply in love with Adnan for nearly a year before this. We know that there were several times where they broke up, and within a few days she missed him too much, loved him too much, and wanted to get back together. We know that there was this ongoing conflict in her mind between Don and Adnan. We also know that in many of her diary entries, she would jump from sentence to sentence between how much she loved Adnan and how much she was thinking about Don. That note at the bottom of that page in that diary could be an indication that she was feeling conflicted again. But the bottom line is that in order for any of this to even matter, the first thing that we need to do is figure out Jay next week on Truth and Justice. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all the music for the show. Thank you to Tate Krupa for creating our logo. Thank you to today's sponsors, Sean T. Fitness and 23andMe for funding today's program. And thanks to all of you for all of your contributions to this movement. Every day, we're one step closer to the truth. After today's show, please send your thoughts, theories, and ideas to me at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Look up the Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff Facebook page. And the best place to interact with me on a daily basis is on Twitter at truthjusticepod. I always look forward to hearing from all of you, but as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.